Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Uh, how many days has it been since Elon Musk uh, became the uh, supreme leader of Twitter? Um, how is it going so far? <laughs> so, we are joined today by Charlie Warzel, contributing writer at The Atlantic, who writes the invaluable newsletter Galaxy Brain about technology, media, and big ideas, also co-author of the book Out of Office. So, Charlie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So does Elon Musk have any idea what he's gotten himself into? Uh, short answer, no. <laughs> um, the, the short answer is no, because it seems that, you know, I, I don't want to take away from the fact that Elon Musk has built several successful companies and seems to uh, understand how to you know, come up with a large concept idea and hire people who, you know, are actual rocket scientists or car engineers and and put those things into the world. Totally get that. Um, content moderation, which is the sort of supreme thing that you do when you're the owner of, of a big social platform that kind of controls a lot of the levers of politics and, and culture in America and other places. Content moderation is extremely tricky. And the past, let's say, 15 years of social media is a series of, it's always dudes, uh, dudes deciding that they have a really great idea to connect people and to sort of promote discourse in a new and interesting way. And they create a platform. And then people use these platforms in all kinds of ways. Some are great. Some are absolutely nightmarish. And... Then these guys say, whoa, 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 oh, this isn't what we thought. And they struggle with this sort of eternal question of not just the internet, but like discourse in general, which is how do you balance free and open debate with maximum allowable speech? And the truth is that it's extremely difficult. And then you throw in a business in the center of that. So, you know, ad advertisers need for revenue, and it gets even more complicated. And Elon Musk has sort of stumbled into this. I think he seems to think Twitter is a super fun thing that uh, is kind of a it's a it's a nice you know business card to have, yeah. right? And it's kind of fun. And, and, and he can be troll in chief now. Exactly, chief twit. I believe yeah, is, is what he likes to say. Yeah. And he gets to make all these kinds of jokes, and you know he gets to correspond with everyone. This morning he's you know tweeting back and forth with Stephen King. It's it's very clear he loves the platform. Like he is he is one of the power users of the mm -hmm. platform. So we can't you know claim that he's ignorant about what he bought, but he is very ignorant based off of everything that I have read of his, everything I've heard of him talk about when it comes to the moderation job, the sort of that balancing of those two, you know, open debate and and maximum allowable speech categories. He, he doesn't really understand not only how to go about doing that in a responsible way, but also he doesn't understand what Twitter has tried in the past to do this and, and what they've succeeded at and what they failed at. So he's in way over his head. He's in way over his head. You know, he obviously thinks of himself as a great deep thinker. Uh, it feels like he spent about five minutes thinking about these very complicated issues. And now he's at the just throw shit up against the wall stage of all of this. So so let's talk about his disastrous weekend. He's, he's only been in charge for, what, four days. And you have a great piece up in the Atlantic, the disastrous weekend. So what made it so incredibly 
shambolic, which is the nicest word I can use here because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to avoid using words like clusterfuck. So shambolic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a family podcast. Um, yeah. no, uh, so let's see. Um, what made it so disastrous or shambolic is that it was watching somebody who just very clearly isn't good at this try to figure everything out in in real time. I think the way that that my myself and my colleague uh, David Barris put it in the piece was that it was like a guy waking up in a new house in the first night and just sort of stumbling around in the dark trying to find the light switch because it's a, you know it's a new <laughs> place. Um, and that's how it felt. And there were so many inconsistencies right so he right before the deal closes he writes this really like bloodless executive speak letter to advertisers that's like we will listen not make I, this a hellscape exactly not be i don't want to make this under my watch yeah. and also you know he did the very classic thing that like every tech executive has ever done where they say you know at the advertising can be we can elevate the advertising so that it it's actually as good as the content um which is you know always pretty much a lie um but anyway it was this very like oh is he gonna be this like kind of buttoned up executive once he has his you know fingers on the reins or whatever and then it turns out absolutely not uh he's not going to be at all he's going to be his his usual trollish self he tweeted on friday that he was going to do this content moderation council where he's going to have a wide variety of viewpoints and that you know no decisions would be made without you know the entire council of course there's no i think he's making this up as he goes along he doesn't okay. know who that's going to be that sounded like just a punt it's sort of like when a politician has no idea what they're going to do they name a blue ribbon task force this was like <laughs> yeah I, I don't have anything so i'm just gonna throw this up against the wall i think that's what though what he genuinely wants right he does want this like council of elders these people making these decisions i think in his mind he's like well you know if we get like like you know Candace Owens and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez somehow to sit in a room together, you know, they're going to battle it out in the, you know, Thunderdome of ideas and we will, uh, you know, come up with a content moderation policy. Of course, that A, will never happen. B, it would be a disaster. Um, I do think that's what he wants. But anyway, like literally three hours later, he tweets to the Daily Wire's Jordan Peterson that all people who have been banned for like minor infractions are going to be reinstated under him immediately. And it was just this very classic, no decisions will be made until the council approves them. And then three hours later, actually, I'm, I, it's not really a democracy. Uh, I'm going to reinstate some people, you know, as soon as I can. So there's this, this total inconsistency, right? And then obviously like, let's fast forward to Sunday, which is the big day in the Elon Musk weekend, which is where he is replying to a tweet from Hillary Clinton with a conspiracy theory around the uh, Pelosi home invasion and attack. I'm not even going to talk about what the conspiracy theory was, but it was ridiculous from a website that has trafficked in total fake news before. And it's this idea that Musk says on Thursday I don't want this to become a hellscape. I want, you know, free and open debate. I want this to be a tool where people can use to learn about the world and knowledge is power, et cetera, et cetera. And then he's like trollishly sharing fake news links. It's so inconsistent, right? I mean, it is it is the 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 Dante's Inferno of hellscapes by Sunday, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it, you have to peel the onion of awfulness here because he's tweeting a conspiracy theory about, and I'm sorry, that's homosexual, you know, homophobic uh, meme that was pushed out there. 
And then he links to a site that is is like in the Hall of Fame for bullshit conspiracy sites. I mean, this is a site that's so bizarre that in 2016 it was reporting that Hillary Clinton had been killed on 9-11 and that it was a UFO body double that was campaigning for president. I mean, so, you know, with all the debate, after all these years of debating, what do we do about misinformation and trolls and, uh, you know, false stories? Here you have the guy in his first 72 hours tweeting out the worst most, you know, just toxic crap mm-hmm. that was immediately, obviously debunked. And it's so inconsistent, too, even from Sunday morning. Like, you don't even have to go back to the, I don't want Twitter to be a hellscape letter. On Sunday morning, Elon Musk replies to a tweet from LeBron James. LeBron James on Sun uh, on Saturday night tweeted that he was really worried about this uptick in accounts using racial slurs. You know, this sort of idea that Elon Musk took control of Twitter and all these racists and neo-Nazis are flooding the platform and they're really activated and energized, right? And he tweets that, he (laughs) he tweets that, you know, he shares some information from some engineers at Twitter that, you know, this isn't actually as big a deal as, as, as we think. This is a small targeted network of accounts. We're working on it. And the, the, you know, inference behind that tweet is, he doesn't want LeBron James, a very powerful cultural person and also someone with a lot of followers on Twitter. He doesn't want him or other people to think that Elon Musk is the cause of the degradation of this network into a bunch of, hmm. you know, abuse and misinformation. And then like two hours later, he's out there sharing just like the lowest bottom of the barrel viral garbage that that you can have. And so what we wrote in the piece <laughs> was essentially Elon Musk has tasked himself with basically trying to solve these historical, multi-generational issues of free speech on the internet. It's a nearly impossible task. And people who have tried before him and either failed or you know, not been able to you know, perfect the balance have been reasoned, they've been smart, they've had restraint in how they are running their businesses, Elon Musk is not any of that, right? And he's trying to do it on the fly. Exactly. Sort of making it up as he goes along. And when you think about, you know, how difficult the task is in front of him, and you think about the way that he is behaving, there's just no way. I mean, I really don't want to be overly pessimistic. It's not great in my line of work to predict that Elon Musk will absolutely 100% fail, and I don't know the future. But when you look at what is required to try to restore some of the integrity of these types of platforms to really balance these difficult issues. This is not the person you task to do this, right? This is not the person who is going to solve these issues. This is a man who is essentially just, he's a troll, right? And that doesn't mean he might not be able to build rockets or cars or do whatever you know he can, but I do not think that he and his friends who he is tasking and, you know, giving names like chief meme officer. I mean, this is a game to them. And Twitter is not a game. It is very much where, unfortunately, we are conducting a lot of our politics and commentary and and where a lot of that culture derives from. So it's fun to laugh at and kind of roll your eyes at Elon and think of him as a Bond supervillain or whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, to me, it's extremely depressing because we've given the keys to this important lever of communications over to someone who 
is one of the more shallow thinkers on the topic. And reckless. So as as you point out, the tweet about Paul Pelosi, he eventually uh, deleted, which actually angered some of the users like a guy known as Cat Turd, who apparently Elon Musk is very concerned about what Cat Turd thinks. So, I mean, <laughs> Trump used to retweet Cat Turd. And so Cat Turd thought that Musk had caved into the liberal mob. So here's the problem for Elon Musk, that you you want to have General Motors continue to advertise on your site. You're concerned that LeBron James not think that you are a toxic swamp. But then you also need to cater to Cat Turd. It's not going to end well. Yeah, it's um, there's the classic line of, you know, uh, I, I never thought the leopards would eat my face. <laughs> right, uh, exactly. And, and it, yeah, it, it's this, you know, he has this hilarious for us to watch, um, probably very difficult for him balance to strike. Right. Uh, he, he has all these people that he wants to appease. He wants to be seen. I mean, I, I genuinely think that he really does love to be liked. Um, I, I try not to do too much psychoanalysis, but it does seem like, you know, he really, he loves activating these, you know, groups of people. He wants to be seen as sort of a savior of Twitter on the free speech end, but he's just going to piss those people off yeah, because right. those Sooner people want anarchy. Like they just want absolute chaos. And of course, absolute chaos does not jive with the advertising business or uh, any, you know, any of the economics of the platform, which he really has to worry about. You can see right now his whole have users pay for verification. Uh, I want to get to that. And I'm, fiasco. Yeah. He's on Twitter talking to Stephen King this morning about the fact that, well, I, I know it's not great, but we need to raise money because we have to pay for the website. So he's got real economic incentives to make money. Uh, and, you know, it's not going to cut it if he's just courting uh, neo-Nazis. Well, this is also going to be taking up a larger and larger uh, portion of his brain if, if he has to answer every single celebrity that tweets at him. So one, one more thing, because I want to I get to this whole, you know, charging for the blue check in, in a moment. You know, it, clearly he's also really a, adopted this uh, this sort of MAGA-like uh, persona of never apologizing, always trolling. So the New York Times runs a story after this fiasco over the weekend saying Musk shared link from site known to publish false news. And then Musk troll tweets back that he had not shared a link from the New York Times. Like, huh, okay, get it, you know. So he's he's clearly not apologetic. Um, he's going to continue to be a troll, and he's not ever going to apologize. So let's just talk about this, this charging for the blue check mark. Now, you, you tweeted out that you're not going to pay for it. I'm not going to pay for it. I actually think that it becomes kind of this uh, – reverse filter that that anyone that actually still has it after 90 days is like a sucker <laughs> elon musk so again this is a guy that paid 44 billion dollars for this business and in the first 72 hours he's coming up with ideas that seemed barely half-baked yeah i it's i think that the the verification thing i mean it's it's supposedly going to be 20 dollars a month that's considerable yeah you do get some things when you are verified on twitter you get you know uh, better controls to deal with uh spam and abuse which as someone who's been on twitter with mm -hmm. a blue check mark for a while i i won't deny that that's that's a great thing am i going to pay like double what i pay for like netflix and hulu yeah. uh, a month just for that um seems i will not um yeah. also i do think you're right i think it it sort of runs the risk of um 
the people who will be verified will be either seen as, you know, extremely uncool or, uh, or, you know, Elon Musk fanboys. And there's a whole sort of cultural thing about that. But, but when, when I, when I look at this, right, he, this is something that's like, he's clearly at Twitter headquarters all weekend, trying to come up with different ideas to raise revenue with, you know, himself and his little council of advisors and Tesla people uh, who he's brought in to, for some reason, evaluate the code of Twitter engineers, which is, uh, interesting um to say the least but it, it's very clear that he's just as you say doing this on the fly right because this trial balloon is floated but what we don't know is well our government accounts going to have to pay or is the united states government going to have to pay elon musk's to have you know white house at twitter.com or you know whatever white house at verified right our news organizations our journalists in war zones going to have to pay Elon Musk and Twitter money in order to be verified to deliver information about, you know, things that are happening on the front line in Ukraine. The whole point of owning and operating a social network is that the big broad strokes are actually somewhat easy. The very difficult thing is having 250 plus million people and all of the edge cases, right? All of those little things that pop up, right? You know, a big part of running Twitter is dealing with law enforcement requests, trying to unmask mm, anonymous mm, dissidents mm. in foreign countries, right? I don't believe that Elon Musk has thought for 45 seconds about that, right? And it's the same thing, like, okay, this is a, in theory, this is a small little revenue generating thing. It's certainly going to make a lot of news because, you know, the blue check has kind of become this, you know, cultural elite signifier. In a way, he's almost kind of trolling you know, all the journalists on Twitter and saying, you know, you got to pay me if you want to, you know, keep your cultural elite status. There's all those like sort of broad strokes, things that are interesting or funny or possibly sound like good ideas. And then there's all of the actual logistics of it, right? How is this going to be implemented? And it seems like he, it's really trite to make the Trump comparison, but it's very similar to the way that, you know, Donald Trump would announce an infrastructure week style thing, right? I'm going to do this. And, you know, it's clear his staff hasn't been briefed, right? He's just tweeting mm -hmm. from the residents about this stuff. It's a very similar thing. And we're all kind of just, especially in the, in the tech media, people like myself, we're just kind of stuck in this reactive crouch responding to these things that may or may not be true and may just be pseudo events and feeling kind of dumb the entire time that we're forced to care but because of the position he's put himself in we do have to care so you write in your piece that the bottom line is that this weekend it was a disaster and it's only going to get worse you talk to twitter employees who are saying that staffers are packing their bags and they're expecting bedlam in the coming days so what is going on in the twitter headquarters this week who wants to stick around is what I'm getting at. Well, I've spent over a decade reporting on the company, and I've had quite a few disagreements with the way that the product is run. I will say that there's, there's two things about Twitter that are worth mentioning. One is that in the aftermath of all the, the total abuse of the platform during the 2016 election, Twitter committed to really trying to help its users out. Right. It didn't try to do some sort of truth commission. What it did is it tried to give people tools to make sure that they could 
moderate their own experience, right? If people were harassing them, they could better blocking tools, better quality control filters, better abuse reporting functions. They did a really good job, you know, calling bots and, and a lot of different awful things off the platform to help people. So that's one thing that's important. And one of the reasons why that happened is because, too, there are a lot of people at Twitter who really believe in the product, who really care quite a bit about it. You know, not all of them are power users, but but who really truly believe in in the fundamental mission and see it as sort of this, for good or bad, cornerstone of our discourse and want to you know make it as helpful and you know net positive mm-hmm. to all that. And that's why some of these people are staying around because they actually care about the product. They they really they believe in it. And I think that that is meaningful. You know, some of them are also staying because their their stock hasn't quite vested yet, right? Uh, there's you know there's very practical mm-hmm. concerns there. Uh, they've put in their time. They would like to you know to get get their money. Elon has been firing people before the vesting dates, which mm-hmm. is just you know kind of a a shitty thing to do. Um, but you know what you can see is from these first couple days, I almost said weeks, but it's just days. Uh, is that he's he's really a terrible manager. Um, he might be, you know, again, a visionary, whatever. I'm not going to go into that part of it. But from a, how do you run a workplace to, you know, make your employees feel taken care of, safe? Well, one thing you don't do is just, like, have the specter of mass terminations just hovering over people for a week plus. That's not a great way to engender loyalty in your workforce. Um, and that's exactly what Elon Musk is doing. He's, you know, he's doing this whole thing where he is governing Twitter by, you know, a series of, of public tweets. So we know as much about what's going on inside sometimes as the people, you know, who are building the product. With this whole verification thing, he, he reportedly uh, told the team, you have seven days to roll yeah. it out or we're going to start firing people. It's a bad way to run a business. And what I think he's going to learn is as devoted as the Twitter staff might be, Silicon Valley is a very competitive job market. You know, these people with these engineering and coding skills, they can go out and get jobs elsewhere at companies where they're not being threatened with terminations uh, every, you know, seven days. Well, as as one employee told you and your co-author that even if you ideologically agree with him, unless you love being a replaceable cog who has to dance on command, this is not a workplace to be in. As for users, you should already be seeing the influx of hate speech. Porn was already taking over and it will get worse. And apparently porn is the highest growing topic of interest, uh, according to Reuters. Alongside cryptocurrency. <laughs> that's that's going to be great. And um, again, as you point out, most of the company expects to be fired sometime this week. So you kind of wonder what the level of productivity is. So let's go back to the issue of, of content moderation. Um, to the degree that he has, you know, spent more than 45 seconds thinking about it, he, he is unequivocal on the point of preserving broad speech protections for even the most odious users. Obviously, good news for, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, people like that. So what do you think? Does he bring back Alex Jones? Does he bring back Nick Fuentes? Does he bring back the misogynist British-American kickboxer who talks about beating up women? What do you think he's going to do? He's going to have to make a decision sooner or later, right? Well, this is this is one of the reasons why I'm very curious about the quote-unquote moderation council of elders. Um, it may be a way for him to kind of deflect blame on that decision, right? Uh, I think with some of these 
people like I, I don't know if he does necessarily want to bring back you know let's say like nick fuentes right yeah i mean even alex what jones now? is like he could you know alex jones is uh is has has an entertainment factor to him right like the frog the gay frogs uh you mm-hmm. know lines and stuff like that so he might be able to you know pass that off with a with a wink and a nod and a haha oh he's so funny sometimes um mm. i i think the sandy hook stuff has probably yeah. tainted that legacy too not, much not but funny, yeah this council might be a way for him to, you know, kind of pawn those decisions off on other people, those really consequential ones. I mean, I just, I have, I have no idea. Yeah. And yet he's freelancing. So, you know, you, you have this guy, Mark Fincham, who's the conspiracy nut running for secretary of state in Arizona, um, had been briefly suspended from Twitter, uh, on Monday and then was reactivated after, uh, he got Jenna Ellis to tag Musk and then Musk personally intervened and put him back on. I mean, so is it going to be like that? I mean, it's going to be that if you can get his attention in some way. So, I mean, so much for the council. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> bullshit, obviously, right? I mean, this is the way that Twitter actually used to work back in uh, in 2015, 2016, right? Uh, there, there weren't real processes uh, to get reinstated or to help someone out with a, an abusive account, what people would do is tag journalists like myself mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, I'm a woman. Look at all these, mm-hmm. you know, death and rape threats that I'm getting. And then someone like myself would email Twitter and say, hey, doesn't this violate the rules? And poof, that account mm-hmm. would be gone, right? Uh, the harassing account. That's the way that things got done. It was extremely ad hoc. Uh, people had, you know, no autonomy over their own experience and we're miserable as a result. So I've always said that I think the most likely scenario for what Twitter looks like in, let's now let's just say 2023, right? And a couple of mm-hmm. months into his reign is that I think it's going to look a lot like Twitter in, you know, let's say October 2016, which mm-hmm. is just a bit of a free for all. Um, there will be, there, you know, I think there will be awful accounts that will be removed. Like I, I sort of don't think that truly like harassing neo-Nazis who are like targeting people with, you know, horrible, horrible hate speech. I don't think those people are going to be allowed to stay on because I think he has to respond to these advertising incentives. But I do think that a lot of the people who in the sort of Trumpian way in the Alex Jonesian way are kind of always, you know, walking right up to the line and sticking a toe over it and testing and poking and prodding the, you know, the rules and moderation. I think those are going to be the people who he will either reinstate or keep on because he'll say, Oh, it wasn't that bad. Right. I think the, the true, odious examples are still going to be, you know, cold, but all that stuff that's, you know, a toe over the line, it all adds up to an experience that feels toxic. Your, your prediction, which I think is probably right, that it's going to be like Twitter back in 2016, which was pretty ugly place. As you point out, you know, it was pretty ugly, especially if you were a woman, Jewish, a person of color, a member of any minority group. You know, you mentioned when certain people, including me, you mentioned Ben Shapiro, but I also had this uh, regularly photoshopped into a gas chamber by accounts Mm -hmm. with SS avatars. It was a honeypot for assholes um, (laughs) back then. So let's say we return to that moment. I have to say, though, that in the six years since 2016, everything has gotten worse. Everything is more toxic. It does seem like you just can't dial back in many ways. We, it was a it was a kinder, gentler, more innocent era because we thought that those were outliers, and it has become this surging volcano. So, if you had the openness 
in 2023 that you had in 2016, it's going to be pretty ugly, isn't it? I mean, we live in a different world than we lived in 2016. True? Disagree? I mean, I think so. I think all of this stuff has just matured, right? All of these it people- be the who, word I would have used, but- <laughs> No, I mean, I matured, I mean, in the sense of like, they've gotten more evolved in their tactics, yeah. right? Everyone has sort of learned, everyone's figured out their their camps. There was a lot of, as I think you said, like throwing shit against the wall, right? There was this idea of like, well, you know, what can we do to make candidate Donald Trump memed into office, mm. quote unquote? I think now all these sort of tactics have hardened, right? The lines are very well drawn. And yeah, I mean, this is why I'm so frustrated by Musk's takeover of a platform that is so central to our political discourse, which is that we need adults at the helm, right? We need like something here. We need people who I don't really care about their politics so much. I really don't. I don't really even care about the shit posting. I just care about someone who takes this challenge very seriously, someone who's willing to be transparent about it, who's willing to act in a responsible manner, who who sees, you know, the integrity and the reach and importance and healthy conversations on the platform as paramount to their own ego. And with Elon Musk, you're never going to put anything in front of his ego, in front of his sort of ability to create spectacle and generate attention. And that's what's so depressing to me because as you state we're going into these midterms and then we're going to have the way that i've kind of put it is like the american interregnum is like over right yeah. like we're about to head into something that's going to probably feel like 2016 or 2020 for the next two years um it's going to be chaotic and pretty toxic and awful and like we need to have in all of our realms like adults you know holding onto the wheel and trying to steer some of these big platforms towards you know helping us come out of it not yeah. worse than we were when we started and i don't believe that's gonna happen so going back to the beginning if elon musk really has no idea what he's getting into and he's going to get caught up in all of these tangles of these irresolvable problems and he's going to get hit from everybody from cat turd to, you know, the New York Times, et cetera. How does it end? How long does this hold Elon Musk's attention? Does he get bored? Does he just walk away from it? Does he just say, screw it? What, what do you think happens? I want to say that he's going to get bored. It does seem in some, you know, when you're gaming it out in your head, it does seem like one of the most likely outcomes, right? This, again, these issues are are not fun to deal with. Like being the head of Twitter sounds like a great job. It's a great business card. Uh, in practice, it's just everyone is mad at you all, all the time, right? right? Mm -hmm. You just cannot appease anyone. And, and also decisions that you're making have the ability to cause these ripple effects throughout culture and politics, right? Uh, you could, you can endanger people just by a decision that you've made. And I think that that's going to wear on him. I mean, the thing that you teased is like, Here's a man who's running some of these really large publicly traded companies that are trying to do things like, you know, change the way we use fossil fuels right. and, and drive. And now he's spending almost all of his time, you know, dealing with content moderation issues on, on a social media platform. So are these other projects going to, you know, draw him into a different place? Is he going to make so many decisions that he just feels like he's hated? And then so he decides to, you know, just kind of back up. Another big part of it is, 
is the economics of it, the, the financing of Twitter. Like Morgan Stanley has taken on $13 billion worth of debt. And at some point, they're going to have to call in their receipts on that or, or give it off to a you know distressed debt fund that doesn't care at all about Musk. He's paying over a billion dollars in interest on the loans every year. You know, those incentives are going to catch up to him. I really don't know where it goes. I think ultimately there's a high likelihood that he will say, oh, this was this was not worth the effort, but I think we just can't predict it. This is going to be a lot less fun than he thinks it's going to be. And it may turn out to be a lot less fun than his other businesses where he can actually do things, accomplish things, solve problems. Whereas this job, you know, it's like every single day you're scraping more dog shit off your shoes and it's just endless. And there's you know, wherever you go, you're going to step in more. And so there's a frustration. So let me ask you this question. This is a complete hypothetical because I know you speculated, you know, the ways in which he can kill Twitter. Well, let's just mm -hmm. leave aside whether he's going to kill it or whether it's just going to return. Let's say that he did, that it becomes just this toxic dump and that nobody wants to be there. So where do we go? By we, I mean people like you and me, people blue checks, people who want to engage in debates about the, the news, about politics and everything. Where where do we go? I mean, the, the right figure, well, we'll create parlor, we'll create gab, we will do, you know, a truth social. And yeah, it hasn't really worked out for them. So what is the plan B for us, America, if he did totally crater Twitter? Where do we go? Facebook? What? I don't know, because it's a really interesting question because of the fact that there's not really a network that exists like Twitter. Mm. Everything about Twitter that is maddening, that is awful, that is toxic, is exactly the thing that makes it so wonderful, right? Yeah. It's this idea that there's this sort of public facing layer to it, right? Like I can say whatever I want to say and I have my audience and my audience will, you know, likely see that. But then yeah. you can take it and you can amplify that message with your own commentary and sort of shift it into the context of your own space. Now, a lot of times that can be so great. It's the way that like, you know, you meet new people. It's the way mm -hmm. that you end up having a weird, you know, back and forth conversation with like a celebrity or, you know, some kind of public facing person that you would never have met or talked to before. It's also the way that like a troll or a trollish politician or someone can quote tweet you and send you into a spiral of abuse. Mm -hmm. There's not a thing that that really works like that. And that that has that kind of public town square vibe to it. And I don't know what happens if we lose that. Because I do think like I, I use TikTok a lot and TikTok has elements of that, right? There's a lot of people on TikTok who spend their time commenting on tweets, like, like big viral mm. tweets. Like there are there are lots of overlaps in some of these networks, but none of them do exactly what Twitter does, which has that sort of like we're all, you know, sort of sitting around in the amphitheater and different people get to come up and, you know, talk and we all get to talk about them talking. And it's, it, so I, I do think that there's something really at stake here if, if it's a loss, because I don't know where people go. Now, I, I think that the nature of social media and the nature of all media, right, is that it just gen generally evolves and everyone has sort of the the different medium that they grew up with. And, and you don't have to be young to have grown up with it, right? Like you and I are products of, in social media, of Twitter. That's sort of mm -hmm. our thing with us and a lot of journalists. And I think that 
for people who are just coming out of college now, that's going to be something like TikTok or maybe parts of Instagram or Snapchat. And so I just think so there are these... Gen- yeah, I do. And I think that we have to be in some ways okay with that. And, you know, Twitter is not going to exist forever in the way that we know, we've known it, in the, in the importance that we've known it. And that could be a good thing. But in terms of where we go in that process, if for some reason it is sort of destroyed beyond repair, that's a really interesting question. And I think anyone who says they have any idea is lying to you. So, I mean, it could be a few years from now, be Tom Nichols and I and, you know, a bunch of old people just tweeting like, like, like sort of myspace or something i it's just gonna be you guys and the and the porn and the crypto scams (laughs) something like that so what is the average age of a a twitter user do you have any idea i actually i don't know i don't know offhand obviously it's a completely different demographic group than say tiktok or snapchat it is it's also just it's more niche it really does court and favor people who have not only a love of news and things like that but also who are have a love of text, right? It is a a really text heavy platform to be good at Twitter. You have to be able to write in these, you know, short, brief, you know, quippy ways, which has become its own art form. Yeah, it really really has. I don't mean that in a snarky way at all. No, it, it, it definitely has. I talked to this a couple of weeks ago, this political science professor at Penn State, his name's Kevin Munger, and he has this really interesting broader theory of really just the decline of, of text in general is, you know, in its importance. Like it is obviously the cornerstone, you know, cultural uh, medium and technology of, you know, the last whatever, you know, many hundreds of years uh, in its importance. But the way that the internet is, is, is evolving now has really deprioritized that, you know, like people, people who are great at making, you know, very quick short form video clips are actually able to reach more people and influence more people than you and I ever could with a really, Mm -hmm. really good tweet. And so I think there's just these, this really interesting way in which, you know, the internet sends everything into like a hyperspeed evolution, right? Things that took hundreds of years or dozens of years now take weeks, months, or just one year. And I think that we're seeing that a little bit with you know, the different kind of broadcast mediums. We're seeing it really shift to short form video. And I think there's a way to be really um, alarmist and scared about that. But I also think there's a way to just see this as somewhat of a natural evolution. And it's possible that, you know, Musk being able to be in the position to buy Twitter, Twitter being, you know, willing to accept the offer, it all speaks to the fact that Twitter is no longer an ascendant social media platform is it dying i don't know i Hmm. this this morning i published a newsletter and i called twitter geriatric social media because it's just in that sort of i felt i felt seen i saw it's in that you know that age right now it's certainly i think to call it dying is an overstatement but it's no longer ascendant and we have to see what's going to happen as a result of that. I think I think it's honestly kind of a fascinating time. It is. But for people like us who have really relied on this for our jobs, for our ability to meet people and sources and talk through ideas and find experts, it's it's definitely like there's a bittersweet quality to it, for sure. Well, there is, but also, at least for me, I, I didn't grow up with this and I did not see this coming. And so you do wonder what's the next thing that I don't see coming that could actually 
open, you know, different sorts of, you know, opportunities. So, Charlie, uh, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Charlie Warzel is a contributing writer at The Atlantic, and you should definitely subscribe to his newsletter, Galaxy Brain. Charlie, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks, as always. The Bulwark Podcast is produced by Katie Cooper with audio production by Jonathan Siri. I'm Charlie Sykes. Thank you for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast, and we'll be back tomorrow to do this all over again.